0: You can grab a seat. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors of City Light Church, and I would invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to be this morning in our study of the book of Acts. I want to preach a sermon uh, this morning from maybe my favorite passage in all of the book of Acts, and that is the story of Paul in the city of Athens. Uh, If you've been tracking with the Acts series, you know that just a few chapters ago, this guy named Paul, his name used to be Saul, was actually a God, well, a a Jesus hater and a church persecutor. And uh, we remember that in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to Saul, he bows his knee to King Jesus, gives his life surrenders to him, and has been changed. In the last few chapters, we've seen Paul no longer persecuting the church, but planting churches. He's no longer killing pastors, but he's training and developing pastors for the work of ministry. An amazing testimony, a testimony that is uh, the power of God available to all of us. And um, we've seen the Apostle Paul now, he's been saved by grace. He's clearly been changed. He's now walking in communion, uh, community with other Christian leaders. He's now living out the great commission to make disciples of all the nations. He's doing so through the planting of churches. And at City Light, uh, for shorthand, we call this pattern down, up, in, out. Down, up, in, out. It's for us, our core values, the things that we've said, we're going to die on this hill. This is what we're going to be about as a church. And uh, if you've been around a while, you you know the shorthand down, up, in, out, down is the gospel. Gospel being good news that God is a good God who saves his undeserving people by grace. We were hell-bent and hell-bound sinners. Jesus pursued us by grace, died, rose again for us, and he saves us by grace. Up is spiritual formation, the idea that Jesus not only saves us, he changes us. He doesn't just take us out of hell and get us into heaven. He, in part, gets heaven out of heaven and into us. He starts to rearrange our desires so that we desire the things that God desires. He, through that, reworks our behavior so that we would look more like God and his will and his word. In stands for community. It's this idea that Christianity is not a solo sport, but when we're invited into God's uh, church, We're invited into his family, uh, and we come together. This is loving, intentional communities. This is our Sunday morning gathering. This is our city groups. This is Christian friends and family that encourage us to walk with and pursue the Lord. And out is mission, the idea that when Jesus invites us in, he also invites us out. This is not just a family, it's also a team. He's given us a purpose and a calling, and that is to let the unbelieving world know about the unbelievable God of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of him, and to love the world like him. So down, up, in, and out. And this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 17, I want to talk to you primarily about the out. City Light, how do we as a church love and engage the world around us with the truth of the gospel? How do we live as missionaries in our time and our culture in a way that's uh, winsome and friendly and thoughtful, but that's also um, committed to our Christian distinctives and values so as to not be influenced by the culture as much as we are an influence on it. How do we engage our culture? This uh, This is a harder problem maybe than we realize. Here's why there's some tension in this. When you give your life to Christ... Um, we're adopted into the family of God and we, we play by a new set of rules. Now, this is, this is volitionary, right? This is we submit to King Jesus, but in so doing, we're saying, Jesus, your, your word, your truth, I'm going to submit myself to it. And God's going to reorder and reprioritize some things in our heart as we submit to Him. And what that causes is some tension because we no longer are going to live like the world. Uh, we've been saved by jesus we now belong to jesus and our highest honor is to obey jesus and so how do we within this world engage the world around us in mission um, historically i would say the church has erred in two different ways okay the first way i would call uh, i would call it syncretism syncretism is the idea that we take Christianity and we sort of sync it up with the culture in the world around us. So, yes, I love Jesus, but culture says that, so great. Let's marry each other. Let's live like the world. This is the idea that we're sort of a jellyfish in the cultural current, and we go wherever the culture and the world takes us. And what happens in this camp is we tend to be um, very loose, very... um, um, Congruent with the world's value system. The other way that we have erred historically, I would call it separatism. Separatism is the idea that Christians should remove themselves from our culture. We shouldn't be evolved in the world. We should essentially just kind of huddle up and hide from that sinful world up there so as to protect our ideals and these biblical principles and we can live in our own little Christian communes, right? Maybe it's not that dramatic, but... Maybe maybe it's the idea that we listen to only Christian music and watch only Christian entertainment and only Christian education and do business only with other Christians, and we interface with the world as little as possible so as to not be stained by it. And uh, in in this tribe or tradition, we end up with a very narrow, fundamentalist, fear-based, rule-based, control-based tradition. The problem with both syncretism and separatism, among other things, is that From these, it's really hard to live as missionaries in the culture, right? On the one hand, if we're so separated from the world uh, and so self-protected from it, it's hard to engage with the people that Jesus actually loves and he's called us to, to be light to and minister to, In the same way, if we just sync up with the culture and and go with the flow, we lose all of our distinctives and we're really no different from the world and unable to evangelize into it because we've been more influenced by it than we are in influence on it. And these two ideas tend to war. We see it today in our churches, don't we? Uh, It's why you tend to have either very theologically liberal, squishy kind of churches that um, love the world but have jettisoned the Bible and all truth. Uh, or you have very fundamentalist churches and Christians who are very religious and angry, and they just tend to stand afar from the culture and, like, lob King James Version insults at it, you know? Thou art going to hell. Keep me away from you. Well, a good news this morning. The Bible gives us a third option. Neither syncretism, sinking up the culture, or separatism, separating from the culture. But we're going to see this morning uh, uh, an amazing case study. We're going to see the Apostle Paul engaging um, a very pagan, very pluralistic, very progressive culture, much like our own. He neither sinks up and celebrates its sins and ideals, he neither separates himself for it and stays out of the town and says, to hell with those guys. We're going to see him engage thoughtfully, um, finding opportunities within the culture that he can redeem where he can build bridges rather than barriers to live on mission and communicate the gospel to this culture. And so as we get into our verses, Acts chapter 17 this morning, starting in verse 16, I want to look at this third category, and uh, I want to describe it to us in sort of three different points. Uh, And these are not my own words or categories. These are common words used by missiologists and pastors to help us think through culture. But but the categories are this. uh, Reject receive, and redeem. Reject, receive, and redeem. It's the idea that there are some things in our culture where, as Christians, we should just reject them personally. There are some things in our culture, Christian or non, that we can just receive. There are some things in our culture, neither good nor bad, that we have the opportunity to redeem and repurpose for good. And so, City Light, um, this is a very practical sermon today, and I want it to be a very helpful sermon. I want to remind you the whole idea of City Light Church is Matthew 5.14, that we are to be a light to Omaha, a city within the city that communicates the countercultural values of the kingdom of God. We put them on display and invite people in, and we're not going to do that by hunkering down, building bunkers, stockpiling bullets and Bibles, and waiting for Jesus to return, Okay? We're also not going to do that by living like pagans and just syncing up with the world. So how do we thoughtfully engage our world with integrity to scripture and the gospel, but loving, building bridges to the culture and not barriers? And so let's look at our text this morning. We're going to start in verse 16. Setting is this. Paul has just been run out of the city of Berea by an angry mob. Um, He's now coming to the city of Athens, and he's waiting for his friends Silas and Timothy to catch up with him. And as as he's waiting, he's having a look around this new city uh, to him called Athens. It says this in verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. First category I want to un- unpack with you this morning is the idea of reject. What is it that we need to just reject from our culture? As Paul walks into Athens, he sees that it was filled. With idols, And so um, the people of the city had given their devotion, attention, affection to hundreds of false and fake Greek gods and made shrines and temples where they might worship, adore, and serve these fake gods. And archaeology would, would tell us that the streets were lined with phallic symbols and, uh, to the fertility god and the busts of uh, the foreign gods. And the people uh, were very religious. They, they worshipped all of these idols. And verse 16 says that Paul sees the idols and he was provoked. That word means um, he's angered. He's deeply disturbed to the core. He despised and reviled the idols. He didn't celebrate the idolatry. He didn't receive the idolatry. He rejected the idolatry. As a Christian, he couldn't worship the fake gods. Why? He had met the real God. His heart was jealous for him. He had been saved by Jesus, by grace. He knew truth. And for him, he couldn't worship the idols of the culture. And so for Paul to live on mission in Athens didn't mean that, you know, he just gotta get right with the culture. He just had to be hip and worship the idols just like everybody else, because then they might need meet Jesus through him. No, he had to say, hey, listen, for for me, you you can worship the idols, but but not me. As a Christian, I I don't worship idols. And so a city light, let me say this. Jesus has saved us. We can learn from this. Jesus has saved us. He has called us his own. He has set us apart. And sometimes that means, very simply, we need to reject some things that are accepted by the culture and the rest of the world. Quick nuance. This doesn't give us freedom to stand in judgment of the world. Who's the judge? God. We leave judgment up to God. He's really good at that. We aren't. But it does mean that we're going to make some personal choices that though the world may engage in those things as a Christian, I'm going to reject those. I'm going to give my ultimate allegiance to Jesus and what he says. And so there's some things that we just reject. There's no such thing as as Christian prostitution and tax fraud, right? There's no such thing as Christian pornography and exploitation of the poor. There's no such thing as Christian homosexuality and and casual hookup acts. There's no such thing as Christian strip clubs, right? We we need to be discerning. Hey, the, The world may engage in those things, Um, But I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to the world. And so for me, that means I'm not going to judge my neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor. They engage in those things. I'm not going to be weird and pick at their house with weird signs. Um, But I'm going to lovingly say, hey, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I live by a different set of rules, and I need to reject those things. For me to accept what is coming downstream from culture would be sin, and and I'm going to reject those things in my life. First category is reject. City Light, who lived this out perfectly? Not you and not me. Jesus. This is Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus stepped into the sinful world as a missionary. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet without sin. He engaged the sinful world with love, avoiding all sin, saying no to all sin so that he might save us from our sin. And now as Christians, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the truest thing about you is not that you're an American, it's not that uh, you are an Omahaan, is that a right word? An Omahaite, it's Lincolnite, is it Omahaite? It's not that you're a Republican or a Democrat or this political persuasion. The truest thing, the most fundamental defining thing about us is that we are Christians, we submit to God, his governance, his authority. Uh, our lives are divined by him, and sometimes that means we reject among ourselves what is accepted in the culture. And so before we get to point two, let me just ask you, are there things in your life that you have accepted from the culture that maybe God would say, no, for a Christian, that's to be rejected? We're not rejecting people, but, but we are going to reject some of the things coming downstream from Culture. Uh, I would ask you, uh, are you a cultural jellyfish? Are you more influenced by Facebook or your Bible? Are you more influenced by your college professor and your peers or God's word and God's will? Sometimes the most loving thing we can do to engage our own culture is to stand unique from it. God called us and set us apart. We're to be uniquely defined as Christians in the kingdom of God. First thing, sometimes we reject. Paul saw the idols. He didn't worship the idols to be culturally relevant. Uh, But my second point is this. Sometimes things from the culture can just be received, even if they're not uniquely Christian. The idea here is that not everything from culture is bad. We don't need to create a sterilized version of the culture and kind of live in a Christian bubble, buying only products with Jesus fishes on the box, Right? where we say, hey, I'm going I'm to do my best to insulate myself from those sinners and I'm going to have my own Christian subculture and our own entertainment music and, and business option and, and uh, I'm going to read only Christian blogs, watch only Christian movies, read only Christian news sources. Uh, did you know you can get Christian breath mints and Christian underwear? What makes a breath mint Christian? Did it give its life to the Lord and get baptized? Did I... What sanctifies underwear? I mean, sometimes things from the culture don't need Christianized. I don't even know how that works. Sometimes things can just be good as they are. So let's not uh, be those people, okay? That gets really weird. Uh, You have pastoral permission to wear Hanes underwear. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord. Sometimes we can just receive things from culture. Uh, Let me show you how Paul did this. Some of the things he just accepted in the Athens culture. He celebrated them. Verse 17. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Um, I want you to notice the idea of the marketplace. This was the, this was the area of, of, of cultural exchange of ideas and thoughtful debate and dialogue in the culture. It was their Facebook. It was their corner pub. It was their local Starbucks. This is the place where people conversed and engaged. And notice that Paul doesn't set up a Christian coffee shop and invite people to come in him for, to him for the purpose of ministry and evangelism. He goes to them. He says, your, your marketplace works fine. Uh, verse 19 says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Uh, notice that Paul receives and affirms their culture of debate. Um, he doesn't just say, oh no, the city is sinful and idolatrous. I need to disengage. They're talking about pagan things. Get me out of here, right? He just accepted, he celebrated that they like to engage. They like to talk about truth. Later in verse 28, we're going to see in a minute how Paul quotes their philosophers, he quotes their poets. This means he's reading their books, he's listening to their music, he's reading their websites, he's reading their blogs, he's engaged with the thoughtfulness of that community and he's willing to receive those things. He's in their marketplace using their language, eating their food, using their roads. And some things, sometimes things from culture can just be received. They can just be welcomed and received even though they aren't distinctly Christian. Sometimes that's the most loving thing to do. You know some things I love about our culture that aren't Christian? Birthday cake. Can I get an amen for birthday cake? 66 books in our Bible. I've been looking for the verse about birthday cake, and I haven't found it yet. But guess what? It's still good. I think it's anointed by the Holy Spirit. I really... I really think this is a good thing, and I don't necessarily need Christian birthday cake. I like regular old pagan birthday cake. I mean, just your standard-issue secular variety of, of uh, red velvet birthday cake. That's fantastic. Uh, I love lots of things about our culture that aren't necessarily Christian. I love block parties in the 4th of July in the English language. I love technology. I love medical science i love social media i love education systems and public safety and restaurants and college football and coffee shops and park and the ever anointed and set apart four-wheel drive trucks and bow hunting there's there's things from the culture that we can just enjoy and receive we don't have to have a bible verse for these or a christian version of them they're just good things and we can enjoy them we can receive them And I'm convinced that we don't need our own Christian sports leagues and Christian coffee shops and Christian social media, but some things can just be received and enjoyed and maybe we'll make friends with a non-Christian and have the opportunity to share those God's common grace, wonderful things in our culture and build a friend and place the the hand of the lost into the hand of the Savior as we connect in wonderful things about our culture that can be received and rejoiced. And so let me ask you, are there things in our culture that you are fearful of that maybe you shouldn't be? Uh, Do you tend to isolate from non-Christians, tend to avoid people that think differently from you, maybe even fearful or maybe demonize people that think differently than you? Uh, Do you tend to reject everything that's new or different from what you know? Did you know those people who think different might be wonderful people and some of the best friends if you gave them a chance, right? Some things in our culture we can just receive. So some things we reject, some things we receive, but the last and maybe most important category is that some things are to be redeemed. I would say most things in our culture are to be redeemed. I'd say it this way, not everything is simply good or bad, but what can be used for evil can also be redeemed for good. Right? The same Internet that distributes pornography and recruits um, terrorists for ISIS is the same um Venue that we broadcast our sermons. This sermon will be on the internet in about 48 hours. Every week, thousands of sermons and Bible content and Christian teaching. Communication with family and friends across the world happens across that same medium of communication. Social media can be used for gossip and slander. It can also be used for encouragement and prayer and evangelism. The Super Bowl can be an opportunity to get wasted and gamble or an opportunity to engage your neighbors in friendship and hospitality. We can take things in the culture and redeem them for good every christmas you're going to see on on facebook um, that that christians are confused because we worship christmas on a pagan holiday when i read that i think heck yes we do and it's awesome right they'll say did you know the christmas tree is actually a pagan symbol and and december 25th is actually a pagan holiday i say yeah but guess what a long time ago some some christians took what was maybe bad in the culture and they redeemed it and you know who celebrates pagan festivities on Christmas now? Not very many people. But do you know who celebrates and worship Jesus and his birth and incarnation? A lot of people, right? We redeem the things of the world and we celebrate those things. Andy gave me a clap and, and hallelujah. Thank you, Andy. Uh, we take cultural trends as Christians and we redeem them. That's what Paul does. is exactly what Paul does in this culture. He doesn't sink up, he doesn't separate, he engages and he redeems. Watch what he does. Um, he's been debating in the synagogues and in the marketplace and now he's been invited into the Areopagus. The Areopagus was the place of cultural influence. It was kind of uh, the Athenian, a mix between their city council and a courtroom and a place to um, debate philosophy and ideas that would shape culture. And so Paul has been invited in to a place of cultural influence. Watch how he's going to redeem this, uh, starting in verse 22 and then verse 23. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious for as i passed along and observed the objects of your worship i also found an altar with this inscription to the unknown god what therefore you worship as unknown this i proclaim to you i love this here's what's going on the, the athenians are so superstitious and religious they've got hundreds of gods and hundreds of idols and hundreds of temples and just perchance they've missed one they don't want to tick the guy off, so they build an altar to the unknown gods. Like, if we forgot about you, we worship you, just didn't know your name. Right? Now, what is Paul going to do? He, he could see this altar and say, uh, he, he could be a separatist. You pagan idolatrous worshipers, damnation is coming for sinners like you. I'm out of here. He could separate. He could, he could sink up and say, all hail, all hail the the, 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 worship, the temple to the unknown God I worship. He, he doesn't reject it. He doesn't, re, he doesn't receive it. What's he do? He redeems it. Rather than building a, a barrier to this culture, he builds a bridge. He says, yeah, notice you guys got this, uh, this temple here. And it says to the unknown God. That's, that's great. You're very religious. Ducky for you. Uh, the unknown God. I happen to know him. I know the unknown. You already worship him. Let me build a bridge and tell you about this God that's already present in your culture. See how he redeems that? He turns it and brings glory to Jesus, and he builds a bridge for the gospel. So now let me go through his sermon really quickly. Watch how he does this. Watch how he Bridges the gap. Remember in Acts 13, other places where he's preaching primarily to Jewish people, he goes where? Back to the Old Testament. He says, remember Abraham? Remember Moses? He skips all of that. He says, hey, you're Greek. You've got this little uh, uh, idol to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. Verse 24, he says, I'm going to go kind of quick. Stay with me. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's saying God isn't made by man. Let me tell you about your unknown God. It's actually not him. God isn't made by man, but man is made by God, and everything we have comes from God. He's the God of the Bible. He is the self-sufficient, um, ultimate, prime reality, lacking nothing that graciously gives us everything we have, even our life and our very breath. That's the God you need to know. He is the known God. He is Jesus Christ. Verse 26, he says, and he made from one man every nation. He's bridging the gap, finding commonality. Every nation of mankind to live all on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He's saying that all um, God is the God of all control. He's not a, a little bit powerful God like the Greek gods. He's the all-powerful, po- pot all-sovereign Lord who determines all things, including the times and places in which we live. And he's saying God doesn't make mistakes. They were in the Areopagus at this time that they might feel their way towards God and find him. And City Light, you need to know. Someone came here this morning just needing to know God doesn't make mistakes. You weren't born at the wrong time into the wrong family. You didn't marry the wrong person. You aren't in the wrong situation. God has determined the boundaries and the times and the allotted periods in which we live. Why? That we might find our way to God. That we might seek him, and we might find him. He's saying, that's the unknown God you're looking for. He is the known God, and his name is Jesus. He goes on in verse 27 B. He says, "Yet it is actually not far uh, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. He's near. For in him we live and move and have our being, and even as some of your own poets have said, he's redeeming their literature, for we are indeed his offspring. He's saying, he is not only knowable, he is near." He's not an aloof deity like the Greek gods. He's an involved, empowered, caring, loving Father, and even as the song that you all sing, "In Him we have our, uh, we are His offspring." He's saying, "We are His children. He has made all of us." That is the unknown God that you are worshiping. He is the known God, and His name is Jesus. Verse twenty nine. He says. Being then God's offspring, we ought ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's saying that man doesn't define who God is. We can't just carve him and say that's who God is. God defines who God is, and he reveals himself to us. And he's beyond our imagination. He's beyond our creativity. He's beyond our blogging and our ideas and our philosophy and and our carving and our artistry. He is God beyond us, and he is knowable. And that's the God who is knowable. He is the known God, and his name is Jesus. Verse 30 and 31, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's saying that unknown God is a known God, and his name is Jesus, and he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And on that last day, injustice will be brought to justice. Truth will be told. Uh, The sins will be punished. And our hope, our one assurance, is the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Our only hope on that day is that he is both the judge and the atoning sacrifice, the one who says guilty, and the one who steps in and says, but I'll take the punishment on your behalf. He is the one without sin that, that um, 2 Corinthians says became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. He is both the judge and the sacrifice on our behalf. And verse 30 says, The time has come that all men everywhere would repent. Repent can feel like a stuffy religious word, but it's not. It's a simple and it's a beautiful word, it means to turn into trust. It means to turn from whatever idols you were finding confidence, life, joy, and fulfillment in and to turn to Jesus, the one true source of all those things. It means to turn from your arrogance, thinking you understand life and the way things ought to be, and to turn and to say, I'm smaller than I ever realized, Jesus, I submit to you. It means to turn from pursuing your sins and your selfishness and to turn and to trust the forgiving sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It means to repent, to turn and to trust. Jesus is the known God. He is the God. He is judge. He is Savior. He is near. His name is Jesus, and we are to repent and believe in him. That is the message. That is the God that they didn't know that could be known to them, and his name was Jesus. In uh, the very last three verses, it goes on to say that some heard Paul and said, meh, you're a nerd. It says they mocked him. said, you're crazy. But some said, I think we'll hear you again on this but it says that some believed on that day they went oh yeah that unknown god i think his name is jesus and i'm going to give my life to him um we reject we receive and we redeem let me end with a couple points of application number one do you know the unknown god um i think the athenian culture was not unique we live in a world full of idols Everything is vying for our attention, our affection, our adoration. When we feel empty, we run to something relationships, entertainment, sports, a career pursuit. Um, We get bored of that. We go into the affair, to the gambling, something to give us a fix, a high, a purpose greater than ourselves. I read this morning on a blog the number one reason people are joining ISIS is because they lack a sense of purpose. They just want their lives to matter for something. These kids that don't have an education, they don't have employability skills, they think, well, what's my life? I want to be a part of something. It's idolatry. We all want identity, and all of us, whether it's Husker football or ISIS, are idols looking for things, and all of us have in our heart this temple to the unknown God that says, there's something that I want, that I worship, that I long for, and I haven't found him. Sometimes that idol is relationship. When we go through the Rolodex of friends and the Facebook friends and the acquaintances trying to fill it, we realize that's not what my heart longs for. It's really the known God. It's Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's the idea of life. I just need purpose. And we go through the Rolodex of different things that can satisfy our affections. It's the unknown God. And we realize Jesus is the known God. He is what I've been looking for the whole time. And I want to know this morning if you have received the known God. His name is Jesus. Acts 17, I I hope that you've seen it. He is God. He is the one true God. He is sovereign over all things. He He has determined the allotted boundaries and times in which you live. And he has brought you here to hear this message. And if he is calling your name, do not harden your heart. Would you repent? Would you turn and trust in him? Additionally, for all of us in the room... Um, I think City Light, it's more important ever that we thoughtfully engage our culture with the gospel. Um, I think we're naive. Can I just be real candid? I think we're naive if we just kind of cross our arms and think, well, America's gonna come back to its Christian roots someday. We just need to ride it out. Yeah, I don't think so, okay? So uh, I think we need to wake up. Uh, Christians are no longer mainstream. We're in the margins, and we have an option. We can retreat from the world. To hell with the world, just get me to heaven. That's not what God called us to do. We can live like the world and just jump in and drink the cultural Kool-Aid. But that's not what God has called us to do. He has called us to be uniquely Christian. It's going to make us unpopular at times. It's going to make us um, 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 enemies in our culture, the bad guys, the bigots, the weirdos. But we have the opportunity to reject certain things, receive certain things, and redeem certain things. And the heart of it all is love. That our city would know the God that they don't know, that they long to know, and his name is Jesus. Let me leave you with this final good news. I once again want to remind you, um, we're not going to bat a thousand at this, but Jesus did. Nailed it, right? He came to earth. He rejected all sin. But he came to the world and received all sinners who would come to to him. And he redeemed the things of the culture. And you know what his prize redemption story is? You and you and you. We are the redeemed ones we are the broken ones who have been made new and redeemed for good purpose what an honor that god would use us to tell our city and the nations about the love of christ amen let's pray that he would help us do that jesus thank you that you have come into this world as a missionary to pursue me i'm thankful Uh, by the power of the holy spirit you said no to all temptation you lived in perfect righteousness and you did so for me thank you god that you've rejected sin but you have received me a sinner and you've welcomed me and you've shown me your grace and now god you are redeeming my life and everyone in the room who has called upon your name and lord we need your help We want to be known for our love. We want to be a beacon of light. We want to hold out the hope of the gospel. Would you help us to do so carefully and thoughtfully, holding out the truth of the gospel, um, um, holding out the Bible, claiming and and holding fast to its truth and its convictions, um, but also celebrating the great things in our culture that we might build bridges that the world might know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.